God's been working amazingly over the last couple of days, just seeing people responding to the gospel. And I want to tell you, that's probably one of the greatest miracles of all, is where people respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and their lives are forever changed. We had a guy respond to the gospel last week, a, a, a young man that responded, said, I want to follow Jesus, I want to, I want to repent of my sin, and I want to give my life wholly to Jesus and follow Him. And the amazing story is his wife joined with a <clears throat> mom's group, and um, I think a week or two before, they prayed, because she's serving Jesus and he's not, um, and she prayed, and together the ladies prayed for his salvation, and then he responded to the gospel a week or two later. Isn't that incredible, eh? <laughs> praise God, praise God. <clears throat> so, um, thanks, Greg. So, um, yeah, a lovely moment here, just someone returning to Christ. Isn't that amazing? Amazing grace. We all sit here, and um, nothing what we've done deserves His salvation. We've done nothing to, reserve, to deserve freedom. We've done nothing. And yet, our chains are gone. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Our chains are gone because He shed His blood. And um, this morning I actually want to speak about gospel, the gospel, and other gospels. Now the thing is, what I've noticed, if I look across the church in general, all across the world, there are many gospels being preached. Paul even spoke about some are preaching another gospel. And there are a whole heap of gospels being presented which doesn't have Christ at the center, but has man at the center. And you think it's far from America? I want to tell you, it's in us. I sometimes see myself responding and I'm thinking, I've actually missed the gospel here because I've been taught, I've been shaped by media and by pastors and by church tradition. And I'm actually missing what it truly is all about. Praise God, what a lovely moment. Sorry, I was <laughs> carrying on a bit. But yeah, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So, and, and, and the lovely thing about people responding this morning and these moments here is it's, it's a physical representation of people responding. And I want to share a bit about the true gospel, but also look at some false gospels. Because those things can put us in bondage. Scripture actually speaks about that. That if you are preaching, Paul writes, and he says, if they are preaching a different gospel, let them be accursed. And those who take that and listen and receive that, are also cursed. So we can meet, walk in a measure of deception and curse because we've absorbed, we've taken a wrong gospel, a gospel that's rooted in self and not in Christ. Example, we sang the song now, my chains are gone. Now you can view that as two ways. Woo, my chains are gone, hallelujah. Or like, oh, Lord Jesus, my chains are gone. How great are you? And a lot of the churches, oh, my chains are gone, hallelujah. I'm free. I'm free. What did I do to deserve this? David said, who am I that you are mindful of me? A lot of the church these days are, oh, who am I that you, God Almighty, are mindful of me? That text is actually, who am I? Who, who am I that you are mindful of me? Who am I? And a lot of the church 
today. Who am I? You sit in our worship songs. You sit in our worship songs. Bless me, bless me. <laughs> bless me. And you're sure it's based on the scripture that you will be a, a, people will be blessed because you're a blessing. But you can also have so much focus on bless me, bless me, and actually just use that as a little spiritual tag that, oh, I want to be a blessing for others, but bless me, bless me, bless me. And we, could have, we get ourselves in bondage because it's all about us. And I want to speak of it as, and I think there is a bit of resistance in this as we, as a, as a season, want to look at a lot of half-truths that's being taught in churches these days. And I mean, just stepping into this, knowing that this might ruffle some feathers, and God did speak that we'll go into a season that feathers will be ruffled. And so I'm excited about it, but also fully am aware that I'm experiencing resistance. Our kids were all fine yesterday morning, went to a hockey clinic, and in the afternoon, it's fevers, and it's puking, and it's... It's, a, it's one of those crazy nights that you're up and you just, it's, it was mind-blowingly crazy. And so you know there's a bit of opposition because we're going to ruffle some feathers. We're going to step into things that might make you uncomfortable. But I think God wants to ruffle some feathers so that we're a people that's grounded in truth. Because a lot of the things is true. Who am I that you're mindful of me? Like, yeah, it's like, God, that's actually quite comforting. So that is truth in that, but it's not the truth. And we need to keep things in tension. We need to keep all the nuances of truth together. And um, the one thing I've seen is many times when people make statements, there's a measure of truth in it. But the emphasis is wrong. There's too much emphasis on that. And they're not keeping the tensions. And that's where they're going to error. Overemphasizing certain aspects. What I've seen is when, when you, well, I was taught when you play cricket. Anyone play cricket? I know Jean plays cricket because or understands some cricket. He, when Ryan asked, who's a great cricketer, he mentioned Jock Cullis. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> Clearly, Jean hasn't watched cricket lately. <laughs> He's still caught in the 90s. Um, but Quentin de Kock and some of those really, like he still plays Jean, Quentin de Kock, David Miller. So, um, so you get cricket players, and many times what happens is when they lose form, Part of the reason why they lose form is they're not confident in their stroke play or they're not getting their weight at the right place. And so sometimes it's, if you want to play a forward defensive shot and make sure the ball goes um, on the ground or gets a good distance, you need to get your weight correct. And when your weight is forward, you can get distance and a bit more control on the ball. But if your weight is on the back foot, you easily hit the ball up in the air and you can get caught out. So you're vulnerable. And you don't always get the distance that you're looking for. Those, some of those big shots where they hit it over the bowler's head, they have to make sure their weight is at the right place and follow through. And sometimes what happens is when we have too much weight on one aspect of the gospel or truth, we become vulnerable and we lose our effectiveness. We don't get as far. It doesn't... That, that cricketer, if he puts his weight in the wrong place, doesn't get the same distance and effect that he wants. And we can lose our effectiveness. I look at the church and I'm thinking, why? I mean, people are getting saved and I'm praising God for that. But I want to see masses come to know Him. I want to hear testimonies where we present the gospel or we share with someone. And we're living in a community where people are used to Christian messages. We live in a place where people... They have a form of godliness. They believe they're Christians. 
but they don't live or follow Jesus. I mean, my wife, said she does hair and makeup for brides, and she spent time with a bride, and, and the lady asked her, what church you from? She said, Josh James. She's like, <laughs> and the Zaldi's like, oh, I wonder what she heard. <laughs> and the, and the young lady's like, oh. And, um, oh. and the lady responded, I'm a Christian too. And the Zaldi's, oh, wow, that's wonderful. But just before that, she was speaking, oh, she's living with her husband-to-be, and they're living a certain lifestyle. And the Zaldi didn't think she was Christian because of the stuff she was speaking, the way she was speaking, the language that she was using. It was contrary to the way of Christ. And he's like, oh, I'm a Christian too. And that's what we have here in our community. The people that think they're okay, and one day when they stand before him and say, Lord, Lord, he'll tell them, I do not know you. And how do we present the gospel to the community here? There's people that have become more liberal than I want anything to Jesus, but we need to be effective in the sharing of our faith. In the book of um, Philemon, Paul writes, and he says, I pray that you'd become effective in the sharing of your faith. I want us to become effective in the sharing of our faith. But I'm thinking, because we've embraced certain gospels that put the weight on the wrong place, we've lost some of our effectiveness. And so I'm trusting that we'll find the true gospel. A gospel that roots it and makes sure we understand that God hates sin. And that our sin separates us. So many churches are not speaking about sin. And the fact that our sin separates us. Like, come to Jesus, he'll give you a better life. But come to Jesus and repent of your sin. Let go of your sin. So I'm going to, let's, let's dive into it. <laughs> Before I give you a summary, without a, not a lot of depth. So, um, we're going to speak about other gospels. Christ or self-centered gospels. We live in a world that's self-orientated, and the culture of the world is self, self. I, I, I did a, a quick Google search. There is 61 words in the vocabulary, English vocabulary, that starts with self. Self-centered. Self, 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 self. And selfish, yeah, yeah, that's one of them. But so many, I think there's 60... 36 words that starts with the prefix self, something. So the world is absorbed with self. And that's crept in to certain gospels. But before we get to the gospels, I think I need to lay this, that there's a lot of half-truths being shared and things that we embrace that's not entirely true. In, in Matthew 24, and I want to say this, just because a pastor or a church, there's signs and wonders, doesn't mean they're preaching the right gospel or truth. They can have they, they, there's a good chance they could have embraced progressive Christianity. I've seen some churches where there's signs and wonders that believe that there's one, more than one way to the Father. Churches that hold to that stance, that there's more, they, they hold to inclusivity of all genders and sexual orientations. And there's miracles. So because there's miracles, it isn't necessarily a sign that there's truth being preached. Acts 20, verse 28 to 30, it says that, um, that elders should be faithful shepherds of the flock that God has entrusted to them, knowing that there's men that will distort the truth and draw people away unto themselves. So there's people that actually get into churches and they preach a gospel that's not the truth to draw people because they want to influence 
they want attention. They, they thrive under that attention. And they, they feast on that. 2 Timothy 4, verse 3 to 4, it says, um, In the last days, people will gather teachers for them that will teach them what their itchy ears want to hear. And people are looking on social media, looking, where can I find something that will, that will share with me, that won't, that won't challenge my sin, but that will give me something that I can justify my sin and my action. Galatians 1 verse 8, I shared that earlier on. Cursed if they preached another gospel, and curse if you believe another gospel. So what hope is there? There's a lot of hope. Jesus gave us his, his word. He gave us the truth. We need to get into it and familiar with the truth. And that's why we're reading the Bible as a church, is that we can handle truth and be able to identify when there's false teaching. It says that you should go away from milk, eat solid food, so that you can discern. And so I do believe it's a season where the church needs to sharpen up that we can discern. So a quick example of, of, of situations where, where a true statement is made, but it's not entirely the truth. Does God always want to heal? It's yes and no. It's yes, God does always want to heal. Jesus always wants to heal. But there's times that he don't. But if your stance and your weight is fully on God always wants to heal, you're not keeping the truth that we see in Scripture intention. Because there's times that God does not heal. Where it's your portion. And you'll be forever healed in eternity with Him. And so we need to keep those nuances. We need to keep the weight of it. Do I, will I continue to pray for healing? Absolutely. Because God wants to heal. But I won't wobble if I don't see healing taking place. I'm trusting that we would see healing upon healing in this place. I'm really, I'm praying and I say, God, give me a greater desire. Increase my levels of faith that we would see healings take place here. But I also understand that He. I mean, there's a beggar at the gate of beautiful at the temple that begged there for 30 years that the disciples, Peter and John said, silver and gold we do not have, but take up your bed and, what what did he say? Um, Eh? What we have. (laughs) Silver and gold we do not have, but what we have we give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And he stood up and walked. 30 years he's there. Jesus saw him. Because Jesus passed by there. There's times that Jesus does not heal. Another statement, and this is all across in churches. Sickness does not come from God. Really? Is that scriptural? Or is that a nice statement to make? Sickness does not come from God. Firstly, you've got to understand creation. Go back to creation. God has created everything. And it was never His intent. But our disobedience and our sin has opened up. Has opened up a door. We read, obviously we've seen creation. So physically, if I don't look after my bodies, I will get sick. Right? So because of my negligence, I can get sick. The devil makes people sick. And then sickness can come from Jesus as well. Revelations. Verse 22. This is Jesus speaking. New covenant. Behold, this is a lady that's preaching heresy and a false gospel. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed 
And those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works. So it is judgment of a lady that's leading the church astray. And because she's unrepented, there will be judgment. And that's Jesus. So making a statement like that, it's not truth. But God was one to heal. Absolutely. Sickness is part of discipline and judgment. It's not God's ideal for us. But we need to be careful that we don't put weight on things and actually ignore other parts of truth. And that's the same with the Gospels. We can put weight on certain things and it can confuse the church. And what is that? We can put too much weight on self because God did save me and he did save you. And there's a lot of scriptures that says he paid the price for you and he saved you. But it's not about you. The weight of the gospel is not about you. And so I want to read through our Bible reading, Colossians 1, verse 1 to 28. You're still with me? We're going to dive into some of these things in greater depth. But I just wanted to ruffle a bit of feathers that we start exploring the Scripture and say, think, oh, maybe I've heard these little reels, these little statements, these little slogans in churches. But I have actually went to go check if it's actually truth. I'm hoping I'm stirring a desire to get into the Word of God and search it. But let's read through Galatians 1. Oh, Colossians. <laughs> Thanks. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossus, the faithful brothers and sisters, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for God's people, the faith and the love that you spring from hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the world. And I'm trusting to see that in our community, that we would see the gospel bearing fruit and growing as the church gets once again stirred by the fact that he saved us. He paid a precious price for us. And he's worth it all. He's worth it all. Where are we now? Just as being doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. Truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who has also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to the glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of these holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued you from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom you have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. So I've heard preachers preach that you've, you've been qualified. You've received the right to become sons of God. That's truth. But I can put a lot of weight on that and actually miss that I 
and qualified. I've been taken out of the kingdom of darkness. I don't deserve it. And he's qualified me to have a living relationship with him. What amazing grace. I'm astounded. Or we can go, you have been qualified. Hallelujah. It is your right to become a son of God. And we get self-absorbed with my right and my, my qualification. And if I don't feel like I've got it, I catch a wobble. Because my faith is rooted in what I feel. In a sense of validation. In a sense of qualification. In a sense of affirmation. Rather than, oh, you have qualified me. I didn't, I didn't deserve it in the first place. So I'm not feeling great today, but I'm going to run into the presence of God because you've qualified me. I'm going to share this good news because I don't feel like I deserve to have a living relationship with Jesus. But I'm going to share it because you know what? He's taken my sin away and he's qualified me to partake in him in a living relationship. That is incredible. There's a lot of, uh, if you do, uh, if, if you spend some time with therapists, they'll speak about um, the core emotional needs that all humans have. And that's a need for um, influence or power, significance, emotional need for significance, emotional need for pleasure. I want to feel happy. I need to have some form of pleasure in this life and, and feel good about myself. And then lastly, for affirmation or validation. Those are three of the four basic needs that all people have. That's why sometimes in the marriage you feel frustrated because you're not being affirmed or acknowledged. You want to have pleasure out of your marriage. You want to feel significant. He's playing a significant role. So this, these are the three core. And what has happened is a lot of preachers have taken the gospel and they've tried to cater for those human needs. And they present the gospel to meet those human needs. And so people say, God has a plan and a destiny for you. He does. But it's rooted in radical obedience to Him. But they present like, God has a plan for you. And it's all about pleasure, it's all about potential and dreams and vision. Back in the day, people presented a, a, a prosperity gospel. Have you heard about prosperity gospel? God wants you to have a great life with fancy car and a house and lots of money, and wants you to flourish. God wants you to flourish, and this prosperity gospel has gone out. And today, a modern one is wellness and potential. Because people have realized, I'm not going to get the fancy car on us. I can claim it, I can name it. I've claimed it and named it for five years, but there's no fancy car in front of my house. And so they realize it's not, it's, not, it's not appealing anymore. It's not appealing. So what are preachers doing? Wellness and potential. Your next setback or this setback will be your next comeback. <laughs> your current setback will be your next comeback. Hallelujah. What if this setback that you're facing now is just where God wants you to be because he wants to form some character? And in this character, produce perseverance. And in this perseverance, hope. Obedience. But now the emphasis is, you know, this, this, I just want to make sure that, I want to make sure that you understand that this difficulty that you're facing, it's going to get better. Because if I share that, you might not come back to my church. 
So let me present something to you that appeals to your emotional needs. Let you stay. Some of my greatest heroes are sitting here. Piercy. Linky. Tony and Dylan, are you here? Tony and Dylan. People are going through chemo, facing cancer, and certain restrictions. But they're here praising Jesus. Because their understanding of truth and the gospel is not rooted in what Christ does for them, or how they feel, or their emotional needs. It's rooted in you are worthy. And thank you that you saved me, and I will lay down my life. Because that's the way of Christ. And in laying down my life, I find life. And so I will serve the body. Here's some really great manier, like serious businessmen, that's serving in the church faithfully, continually. Why do they do that? Because they've been cut to the heart. Because they've been cut to the heart. And now that I've been saved. And Jesus has taken me in to Him. He's made, up, he's made room for me. And therefore, I'll make room for others in my life. Because He made room for me. And so it's not about them. It's about the true gospel. But a lot of the gospel is rooted in self. Colossians 15 The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created in Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that everything... He might have the supremacy, the preeminence. It's all about Him. Not the self should have preeminence. Not your desires, not your needs, not your wellness. He should have preeminence. It's all for Him. It's all in Him. And it's all through Him. A lot of, you'll see a lot these days where churches are really celebrating wellness. Yeah? God wants you to be emotionally and physically healthy. And so a lot of the teaching is about wellness. And you see a lot of churches, pastors, culture, fitness has, you know, has taken a big root in gospel presentation. Is fitness wrong? Not at all. But it can be an overemphasis and an overfocus in the gospel. What about wellness? I've seen it, and, and I read a pastor that said he's recently seen in his community where, where people start posting selfies of how they're making gains physically in their physical and mental health. So there's a lot of selfies. You, you don't see this guy exercising, and the next moment there's a selfie of him exercising. And the next week there's another selfie of him exercising or running. And then the next week there's three selfies the, the third week of him running and exercising and showing his gains. And in the eighth week, he's running and doing things, and there's all these selfies about his physical wellness. And that pastor said, when you start seeing those selfies, he knows soon they're going to sit in front of me because their marriage is taking shape. So he saw this guy doing a lot of selfies, and the next moment, this guy phoned him up and said, I want to meet you, pastor. The guy said, come he sat around the table and the pastor said, let me tell you, I think I know why you're here. Because of your marriage. And he said, how did you know? I saw what you were giving yourself to. And it was yourself. 
And if you start giving it to yourself, that's a slippery slope. Because you're serving a wrong God. You're serving an idol, which is yourself. And sometimes that can be rooted in a gospel presentation. That God wants your life to flourish. Sometimes flourishing is that pastor in the Middle East that just shared the gospel. He's going to lose his life for sharing the gospel. That can be flourishing. Okay, let me try and put this all together. I think I want to show you a statement I saw recently that from a church here. Stepping out is them. Stepping out of the mindset of a slave and into the mindset of Christ will cause you to know your identity and know that God is backing you in every situation. God is backing you in every situation. I want to tell you this. If my two sons are playing with knives and they're having a sword fight in my house, which has happened before, that they are having a sword fight with knives in the house, I won't be backing them in everything they're doing. I won't. If my youngest is playing with matches and trying to light the take-a-lot box in the living room, I will not be backing him in every situation. Does Scripture say God will never leave us nor forsake us? True. But that doesn't mean that. And guys are taking aspects of truth and presenting it because it sounds good. Hallelujah. I'm stepping out of a mindset of a slave. Well, if I read the scripture, we need to be a slave of Christ. And so, okay, there's already something. That sounds good. Stepping out of a mindset of a slave. Yeah, hallelujah. No, but we should actually cling to Jesus. We should submit ourselves to him. So actually, we should let go of sin and not be a slave to sin anymore. You see, that's a different, that's a different message. But that, that's the truth, not that. And into mindset of Christ. We will cause you to know your identity. I don't think the mindset of Christ is for me to know my identity. That's a secondary truth and a benefit of knowing Him. But I've got the mindset of Christ so that I understand what He values, so that I can love what He loves. And now that God is back me, not, not necessarily the case. Scripture says you need to be in step with the Spirit. I need to follow Christ. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. So the mind of Christ would say, Jesus, I'm backing you. Everywhere you're going, <laughs> I'm there. And so what happens with a gospel presentation like this is we wonder, you know, where is God? I look at my life, I don't sense Him, I don't feel Him. But maybe you stepped out. And you're not in the will of God. I've heard people say, I don't feel worthy. I'm coming, I want to worship God, but I don't feel worthy. I don't feel worthy to worship Him. I'm going to tell you why we struggle with that sense of feeling. And why we need to make sure the weight is not on if I feel worthy or not. The weight should be on something else. But I'm going to come back to that. So the two other Gospels, the two unhelpful Gospels that are presented is the self-improvement gospel. So that is that sense that you need to do a lot in order to be acknowledged by God. If I pray more, 
If I try harder, God would be pleased with me and I will walk in blessing and favor. If I tithe, I would walk in blessing and favor. I just tithe because I want to obey Him. And I want to be a blessing to the church. And I want to see the storehouse being provided for. Hey, I'm going to fix my marriage. I'm just going to get it right now. I'm going to fix my marriage. Self-improvement gospel. It's all about what I can do to improve my state. And I take Jesus with me to help me with that. Where actually, it's I need to die. I need to come before Jesus. And say, Jesus, sort out my heart. I open up my life. Let your grace come and change me. So what are evidence, what are symptoms of a self-improvement gospel? You fall into condemnation easily. Why? Because you feel like you haven't done enough. Hey, the church has asked us to Bible reading. And I haven't read Haggai. Um, (laughs) Oh, Jesus, your grace is enough. Hallelujah. That song was for Lee. Your grace is enough, hallelujah. It's, it's a focus. It's an over-focus on what you're doing and not doing. Because you've been taught Jesus wants a better life. He wants you to succeed. He wants you to flourish. He wants to improve the state. We've got either, all these personality tests that we're doing in the church. The issue with the personality test, and it's rampant in churches. I don't have any issue with the personality test. Because it's helped me to understand Zaldi. It's helped me to understand how she needs to rest, what she needs. It's helped me to understand where I'm at and where, how I need to rest. But I'm not going to stay here. I don't live my life according to a personality test. I follow Jesus. The personality test just helps me to understand what are my weaknesses. But we meet one another and it's like, what wimpy are you? I'm a sugar plum and a lemon tree and it's like that's that's where i'm at now and that's uh, that's how i'm processing life where i'm at now but i'm a the the tree should be the cross that should be the tree that i embrace and so the personality test isn't wrong but it's it can quickly overemphasize the wrong aspect of the gospel where it's about you and understanding yourself and it's about improving you and your quality of life. You're quick to compare with others. Quick to compare yourself with other believers. Um, and sometimes it can give you a sense of pride or a sense of failure if you feel like you're not good enough. I've, any of you can witness with that? But sometimes it's rooted in a misunderstanding of the gospel. When you see other Christians struggling, you sometimes think they are not committed. They must get the act together. They must get more devoted. I've heard that <laughs> before. You feel worthless if you aren't involved in some form of ministry and you thrive, you thrive off the validation and the encouragement of others. So there's a sense of I need validation. So when I'm here and I don't feel worthy, you see my worth is not in what God says about me. To some degree it is. But my worth is understanding that I'm not worthy of anything. But what gives me worth is my desperate need of Him. And because He's worthy, because He's incredible, my worth is now rooted in Him, not in how I feel or what I don't feel. My worth is rooted in my desperate need for Him who's worthy. And that's difference. It's a big difference. Because then I'm not here on a Sunday or a community and I, I'm like, guys, I don't feel worthy. I'm struggling to come to God because I don't feel worthy. 
that's actually a good place to start. And say, I don't feel worthy, but Jesus, <laughs> your grace is enough. And because I don't feel worthy, I'm going to run into your throne room of grace with confidence and lay hold of grace and mercy in my time of need. But it's not about my worth. And true, because he saved us, because he's redeemed us, because he's purchased us with his blood, we have a measure of worth. Because he created us, we have inherent worth. But my focus is not on my worth. My focus is on him. And I realize I I don't have worth. I, I lack worth. But because of him. But because of him. And therefore I run to him. Because that's my safe place. That's my place of worth. Does that make sense? It's a subtle overemphasis on the one. Because we're looking for a sense of validation and affirmation. And we overemphasize certain aspects. And what I've seen is, I've, I've actually heard, and once again, it's, it's not a right or wrong thing. It's I'm trying to get us to shift. I've heard a lot of prophetic words about our worth. You know, God calls you worthy. But sometimes that's unhelpful to some degree. Because sometimes I just need to hear the veil has been torn. You know? And I don't have to feel a sense of worth. I just need to run to Him. Because I'm desperate in need of Him. I'm desperate in need of Him. And so I run to Him. John Piper says, Worthiness is not our deserving or merit or earning, but rather our seeing and savoring something of infinite worth. Our worthiness is our preferring that which is worth above all things. Beautiful, eh? Then lastly, there's a therapeutic gospel. We believe that God always wants us to be happy in this world. You believe that God never wants you to experience suffering. Phrases such as confessing my sin are never spoken of and practice, um, and, and you don't practice ongoing repentance. I've heard some guys say that you don't have to repent of your sin. You follow your heart's desires and think that God will bless you because he wants you to be happy. You often find scriptures and prophetic words to conform God's endorsement of your desires. And you never think or talk about the cross and the mercy of God in your life. But if beauty gospel teaches us that Jesus is there to make us feel good about ourselves and to help us feel happy and content. What I've seen with this is sometimes we lack conviction. We lack conviction and we lack a confidence when it comes to serving Jesus. We don't always feel happy. He's not there to make us feel happy. He's there to give us life. He's there to give us life. My joy is in Jesus, not in what the world offers. And so if I look at the gospel, and I want to read, I'll carry on in Colossians, and I'm going to end with this. We're going to read from verse 21. Uh, sorry, we're going to read there from verse 20 at the bottom. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in the minds because of your evil behavior, but now he's reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish, and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, 
and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you and I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I've become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the, na- the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in me is the hope of glory. And so we've got to realize that the true gospel addresses our sin. The gospel is not there to make us happy. The gospel is there to present us the good news that we understand that our sin has separated, from God, has separated us from God. It has alienated us from God. But because Jesus' blood was shed, we can now be reconciled with him. And that's the good news. The good news is that God doesn't want to give, make you happy. The good news is that God wants to save you from yourself and your sin and the bondage of that and set you free. And so now my change are gone. Why? Because he set me free by his grace, by his mercy. When I don't feel worthy and I'm here, I realize, wow, God, I don't feel worthy. But it's your mercy. It's your kindness that leads me to repentance. Your mercies are new. I don't deserve this, but yet I can come. How merciful are you? And so suddenly our worship becomes about the mercy of God and not how about how I feel in the moment of worship. But it's about his mercy. The true gospel says, I lay down my life in view of God's mercy. I can show hospitality because I understand God has welcomed me into his family. I work hard and I'm faithful because he saved me. And now I can be faithful not to earn something or not to become better, but to respond to his goodness. I give myself through the power of his spirit. There's a promise of his spirit. He's been, he blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places for life and godliness. He's done it. And now I obey him because I love him that he showed mercy to me. In Hebrews, and we're closing with this, Hebrews 4, verse 14 to 16, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach the throne room of grace with confidence. The confidence that we approach him is not in how I feel, what I've done, or what he's promised to me. My confidence is that his blood was shed for me, and that he now is still making intercession for me. What a glorious Savior, the one that saved you from your sin, is now the one making intercession, praying, on your behalf. And so when I feel worthless, when I feel like I've missed it, when I feel like I'm not good enough, I consider this, that he's making intercession for me. He's understanding what I'm going through. I've been restored in a living relationship with him. And because he is still interceding for me, that gives me confidence to run into the throne room of grace. For me, when I read that scripture, I almost see it's, it's a picture of, for me it's like this. It's a, the veil has been torn. Violence has been torn, and now it's a passageway into the throne room of grace. And what Jesus has done, 
he spilled his blood over that passageway. And now when I run into the throne room of grace, as I run, I'm just like, I slip. And I just slide in because he's done everything. I don't even have to run. I just need to go. And I'll slide in to his presence where I find grace and mercy in my time of need. And so my invitation to you is, can we be a people that run confidently into the throne room of grace? Because our confidence is not in ourselves. Our confidence is not in what we can gain out of the gospel or the scriptures. Our confidence is rooted in that Jesus has saved me. And he showed me mercy. He showed me grace. And daily, I can partake of his grace and mercy in my time of need. We don't deserve it. Yet he saved us. The true gospel says, come and die. And as you die, I will give my life to you. And now the hope of glory is Christ in you. Christ in you. And as Christ lives in and through me, I live. And I come to the death. Amen? So can we quickly close our eyes and we're going to wrap it up. I know it's been a meaty one. some wonderful things planned for the next couple of weeks if God wills and God leads and so Lord I pray for us can we all stand to our feet and we just respond to God and we God we want to be a people that that walk in truth God and not hold to true statements and slogans and actually miss a big portion of your truth we want to be people that's radically rooted in you. And this morning as we stand here, Lord, we just declare our absolute gratitude that you saved us. We thank you for your mercy, Lord. And whether we feel like it or not, we can come to you, God, with confidence this morning. God, and where we've made the gospel out about ourselves or where we have an overemphasis on our lives and our success and our wellness, God, we ask forgiveness. We ask forgiveness this morning. You have preeminence, Lord. You are supreme, Lord. Not us. And so if that's you, if that's you, I want you to reach out to God and say, God, forgive me. I've made it a bit about myself. I've made it focus. Um, it's, it, the gospel is about my improvement, my gain. And it's not been about you and your gain. And if that's you, don't you reach out your hand and say, God, forgive me. Forgive me. I reach out to you and I declare, God, as I lift my hand now, I declare that you have preeminence, that you are supreme. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for forgiveness this morning. Thank you that we can come and repent of our sin, Lord, and change our ways, God, and root ourselves in truth. God, we realize that the gospel is not there to make us happy. We want to be a people that lay down our lives and find life in you, Jesus. We want to find our life in you. And so, Lord, we realize if we can be one degree off over the long, over long haul, we can drift very far. And so, Lord, I pray that we would recalibrate now in this very moment. We would recalibrate and make sure that we don't drift. So just a moment as Greg's playing, just if you need to recalibrate, if you realize that you've drifted in a couple of areas, I want to encourage you to recalibrate and say, God, I'm going to recalibrate. 
Lord, as we close, I pray that we would know your love, that we would know your grace, Lord Jesus, and your continual fellowship, Holy Spirit. And I pray that we'll be people that have a, have a solid understanding of your gospel, that you'd restore to us the joy of your salvation. And Lord, I pray that we'll be a people that will not be ashamed of your gospel in the days to come, that we would go out and our lives would testify of a living God so that when we go through storms and difficulties like the rest of the world, they would be able to see that it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I pray that you would increase and that we would decrease, Lord. That is my prayer over our congregation. Increase Jesus Christ. Let the life of Christ be visible and evident. Shine your light through us, Lord, and make us effective in the sharing of our faith. In Jesus' name, amen.